welcome back to Cast Me to Hell with me, Seb. And with me, Robbie. And this week, we are delving into some foreign horror. We are. We're treating ourselves to a little J-horror, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time on the show, I believe. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think this is our, our first delving into that Japan. <laughs> it is. Our, our first expedition to Japan. And as we're delving into there, we're delving into the one that kind of kind of started a bit of a f- phenomenon with yeah, Japan. It kind of reinvigorated Japanese horror and kind of started it in a direction that kind of made it more commercial in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're definitely coming over here a lot more. Um, have you? So obviously we're doing Ring. I'm, I think we should just call it Ring. We can't like nah, <laughs> settle on Ringo, it's Ring. Ringu is Ringu. too thing. Every time I think of Ringu, I just keep thinking it's a spin-off of Pingu. Yeah, he's going <laughs> to come through the TV. Just Don't write him Ringu and think, oh, is this, a, is this about some other lovable character yeah, from yeah, the Pingu it's universe? His cousin. Because your children will be eh, mildly terrified. Mildly maybe. terrified. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um, but it's, it's the first time, I'm pretty sure it's the first time we've done Japanese horror on the show. We've done quite a lot of features recently, so we've I think too. We've done we've some, done some uh, other Asian kind of ones, and we we've, we've done tra- no Trains of Busan was in a feature. It was in a feature. Well, that's not Japanese. Is no, it? it's Korean. No, Korean. I've mentioned Satan. I think I mentioned Satan's Slaves, or I was going to mention it, which is Indonesian. I think. I think we've had mentions of it, but we've never yeah. actually done a full episode on one. So we are terrible. We're, <laughs> we've done the Italians. Now let's see. Let <laughs> Japan, do you, will you come and uh, actually listen to us? Or will you be like, they are unsophisticated fools? Which we are, because we're about to massacre some fucking names. Oh, we are going to massacre some names. <laughs> and it, but Including it's Ring, which you're probably already like, it's not Ring, it's... It's something else. Pronunciation added here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's always interesting watching other like non kind of UK Hollywood uh, movies I always find because there there is a certain style to them you know and there's mm. it's one thing that crept out at me about watching Ring I've watched a couple of Japanese horrors but there yeah. was this kind of running throughout most of the film there was an interesting acting style I don't know if you picked up on it or if I'm if I've just gone delirious um, <laughs> but it was all it almost felt very had kind of some melodrama to it almost people in certain scenes people almost moved as if it was more like a stage play you know yeah so I, I can see what you mean some of the some of the, some of the actions and some of the overreactions maybe yeah. at times felt I don't know. It's weird to say if it's feeling like not as natural as you maybe would expect it to see, or maybe, maybe just yeah. because you're so used to seeing it in a different style. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting, but at the same time, I also I did feel that this was still quite oddly, uh, and I do know like for a Japanese um, horror film or of that era, this is kind of why it became a bit more of a commercial success, is because this one was a little bit more Americanized, like kind of Western culture. It kind of played on western culture more than japanese horror ever had before yeah. these films okay. like there was quite a so um the director which is hideo nakata yes i was looking at it going how do i pronounce that name i, I know H- H- hideo I, nakata i believe i know hideo because of H- hideo kojima from 
Yeah, well, yeah, Metal Gear. That's yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, that's how. That's what I know. Um, yeah. So Hideo Nakata, who um, who came into these films not really being a fan of horror films, okay. so so I found out about him. So when I watched this film, I accidentally went onto a version of the film where it had like an American commentary. So over, okay. over the film, I, I turned it off after a little bit, but. There was a the I don't know if it was from the Blue Road DVD. It's it's the commentary that was added by like a film historian on top of it. And I listened to it for a few minutes, and then I turned it off because I was like, I can't really watch the film with you talking. I don't know how. Like, I know people who've maybe watched it a few times. Then you're like, I'll listen to the commentary. But maybe yeah. I never really listen to the commentary. I got to be honest, which is kind of an odd reflection because here I am talking about it. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of like doing a commentary <laughs> yeah. on a film for you. So uh, you're just like, yeah, I never do that. I should turn this shit off right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Um, I found it interesting because um, as a, as a director, he um, he didn't like he didn't, he actually wasn't really a big fan of horror films and compared That's them interesting. he compared them to sex films okay. because um, well or pornography as you might yeah, all know it but it was films. described as sex films because when he was an upcoming director yeah um, he did a he did a horror before this called Don't Look Up yeah which he described as basically he 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 had two choices. So he wanted to make a, a documentary and wanted to be more of that kind of filmmaker. Yeah. But in order to get into that thing, he said that he was offered certain routes to get there. And they said, basically, you can either make sex films <laughs> or you can make horror films. And this is kind of, again, shows where horror was at in Japan at that time is that it gone past the stages of, you know, like Godzilla and all the, the monster yeah. movies. And horror movies were very much kind of a male skewering thing they were quite gruesome grotesque kind of films or or maybe even action-packed kind of films but not something that really kind of had a whole big audience yeah and they were films this was at a point where like japan was not really getting them internationally they weren't really getting out of apart from people knowing them in japan there was a long list of like around that era of films that like we've probably never heard of because they didn't really get anywhere else but Japan. Yeah. Um, and as I said, we said before, this film kind of like broke through that barrier internationally to become like a big yeah. international hit. But the director himself, um, again, kind of chose this because it was one more step to be able to get the documentary that he actually wanted to make. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because the documentary he wanted to make was about a um, an American filmmaker and theatre producer called Joseph uh, Lofsey. Okay. So he wanted to make a documentary about an American filmmaker. And that's why a lot of people have said that um, this film and then films that have then copied the style have actually kind of copied a kind of Americanized version of what they want to be. So this film is much more... Films before it were much more Japanese. This film actually has quite a lot of stuff. Like if you look at the opening of the film, yeah, it all feels a little bit similar, familiar, and that's because films that had come within the last few years before it that he had like watched were actually inspiration. Now there were obviously a lot of Japanese inspiration, yeah, but there's even been saying that films like Wes Craven's Scream 
was actually inspiration on the opening of the film, the opening kind of, okay. you know what's going to happen at the yeah. beginning of this film. Because it become, by that point, it become almost a cliche of horror that we're going to open with this kind of odd hill. So not in the same way as Scream, but lots of American horror films started with that kind of style. Like Scream was obviously playing on it. But lots of other horror films start with that kind of opening kill. Yeah, like a cold open. And it wasn't a standard yeah. thing for Japanese to do this. And if you look... Another thing to back up my point of that. If you look around the room in that opening sequence, uh, you've got American Peanuts brand. You've got... um, They're watching baseball, which is a big pastime in Japan as well as America. I know it's popular. But it's like an American versus Japan kind of game kind of thing. I remember Um, seeing Ritz Crackers. Yeah. Quite a few scenes. That's what I mean. There are are a lot of kind of almost more Western kind of things in the room. And they're not... If you look at them, they're not like Jap- Japanese versions of these. They are actually like the peanuts are the American brand of the, yeah. uh, the actual American brand. Even if you look at things like to show that there's a kind of Western added addition onto this. Even if you look on the clock, the style of the the numbers and stuff are basically they're like Disney style italics, okay. like fonts. The font <laughs> yeah. is like Disney writing. <laughs> yeah. So whether he's whether it was a case of someone was trying to make a point about the fact that this film is all you know about a videotape yeah. and that modernization and things. But he, for some reason, seemed to have a very large inclination towards American filmmaking. Yeah. Um, including the fact that he wanted, like, he ended up directing some, mainly only one or two, but he actually directed the remake, The Ring 2. Okay. He went on to direct that later on. So he directed the, whatever you call it, a remake of their Ring 2 or whatever it was. Yeah. So he made both of those and then he made his own remake of his one of his own <laughs> films. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's just interesting and I don't know whether it's from his as a director but there's also a lot of the stylization of this film then obviously was copied into things like Juon or The yeah. Grudge um, or Dark Water another one that I've, he made yeah I've seen Dark Water so well, I've seen the remake of Dark Water yeah the remake yeah. so he made the original Dark Water yeah. so uh, it, it's interesting that uh, there's, there's actually a bit of a, a crossover between like the style that they do in America, like you said, with like the acting, but then some of the stuff that's added into it, the kind of the way this film's structured and some of the stuff that's in it is actually a little bit more like in a Western style than the yeah. Japanese films before, which is why some of them have said that like in the country they got so used to watching maybe some more of the Hollywood kind of films that the reason this one was kind of perceived so well, not just because of the idea of the film, that plays a large part obviously as well, but is also because it suddenly seemed more comfortable to more like women and more yeah. people internationally because they could link with it more because it had a little bit of like a an Americanism to it. Maybe, yeah. Because, I mean, it does have that, you know, that vibe to it. Um, it in, in terms of, yeah, quite a bit of the filmmaking, I would, I would agree with you on that. And if he was, if he was wanting to make a documentary about an American filmmaker, yeah. you can kind of, logic would dictate that he was probably quite into... American films as well, and that might have rubbed off on his directing style. Even though he can, you know, obviously not just he, but basically at that point they were seen as level of with pornography. Yeah, <laughs> horror was seen. Like, and he still ended up most of his career still ended up being horror movies. So he, he did make his documentary. I nice. Could, yes. There wasn't even a, a link to the documentary that shows how like, <laughs> forgotten. But then for most of his career, he ends up making mainly what looks like mainly horror films, <laughs> uh, mainly again Japan 
Japan-based horror films, which, again, didn't seem to get much of an international market. So yeah. some of them, again, you can't even find much information no. on them. And when you click on them, it doesn't really give you much. It doesn't give you, like, reviews. It doesn't give yeah. you much else. So I couldn't find that much. Even though he's still working to this day, I couldn't find loads on there. But, um, yeah, he's, he's made a few noticeable hits, including, obviously, this one was a huge one. <laughs> so have you seen the... Because The Ring is, you know... Uh, Culturally, it was fucking massive when yes. it came out, particularly mainly the American remake, I would say. Um, so I'd, I've seen the American remake many years ago. I remember it being everywhere. Um, and it was kind of the same time as uh, stuff like, like you said, the Grudge remake, I think probably came out the same year or shortly after. Yeah. Have you, had you seen the, the original ring before? No. No. So no. it was the first watch for both of us. Then. Yeah, that's, that, that was kind of my wonder where I was like, uh, thinking like, I wonder if you've seen the original before because, um, well, there's a bit of a an oddness. There's an odd thing here when you see a remake before you've ever seen an original. Definitely. Which definitely skews your perspective of it. Especially yeah. when, although they're similar, there are a lot of differences. And I'd say a lot of differences maybe more so from a horror perspective of how much, like, is in there I, a little bit. Like, of of how much you would call something a horror and how much you call something it's like a film that has shocks or yeah. things like that. You know what I mean? Like it's definitely horror and supernatural, but there is there is some very big, like noticeable differences that I found, even though it felt like I was watching a very similar film. Yeah, I barely remember the remake. Um, well, before we get stuck into actually talking about the film, um, as always, please remember to hit that subscribe button and please leave us a lovely review. Um, it really does help to kind of build the show and it helps us to kind of climb the charts and get more ears on the show. I feel like, for some reason, I feel like I'm like wrapping up the show already. Yeah. <laughs> Just ending. Um, and that's it for that, And that's it for That's it. We're all over. <laughs> We're, We're going to stop. <laughs> just, you heard some talk about the director and that's about it. That's all yeah, we've got just, to say. What's just fun? go watch the film. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. go watch the film. We'll enjoy it. Um, this is, to be fair, like we're going to... We will kind of go through the film. I do think it's a, it is a it's a difficult one when you're like going for a film that has like the next mystery to the next mystery. And there yeah. Are, and I would say that there are, there are a limited amount of what I would say like there are scenes of like tension and dread. Yeah. But there are not like loads of scenes of what I would say is like full on like horror scenes for us to really describe or like talk about. No. Except for the bookends at the beginning, which. Isn't it? Yeah. and then the ending and then apart from that it's a lot of solving where yeah we, we won't go through and tell you every single little <laughs> twist and turns of, of their investigation because again if you haven't seen the film already <laughs> yeah uh, go and watch the film <laughs> that's it um, but like you were saying it's it's not one of those films where it kind of has large amounts of horror or jump scares it's very conservative and very um you know restraint with its horror so it is a lot of dread and it's a lot of building um so for instance the opening scene uh we kind of we we kick off with them they they, i one thing i noticed throughout it they keep talking about like a late night tv show and you watch it and then maybe i i read it wrong because obviously it's a subtitled film yeah yeah so Um, there are some things that don't that don't translate always translate well but i'm sure at the start they said it wasn't a videotape. They mentioned that it was a late night TV show, or somebody says I heard on the late night TV show 
Maybe it's like... Yeah, I don't know if it's the late night TV show or if it's that they are doing it late at night in their group because later on it's talked about that they're in a like a group party like late at night as if because it's made up to be some kind of like, oh, we're out doing like... like yeah. We are being naughty. Like a Bloody Mary kind of thing. Yeah, I guess yeah. that probably makes more sense, to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure whether... Because obviously they're sat there and they're, they're talking about what it is, but in terms of like it's... What's her name? Tomoko. Tomoko. And then, yeah, again, because I'm getting mixed up between those and whether it's Tomoko or Tomo-chan yeah. or whatever way they pronounce it because later on with the when we find out about the, the son, he can, he says Tomo-chan or Chan. 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 Uh, but I, I don't know which pronunciation that actually <laughs> is for it. I, I was trying to just... I was actually just trying to remember characters' names because I've got to be honest... I don't remember the main investigator's name. I <laughs> the, the, the journalist, the main character. With the with the Chan and San, I think it's Chan. You refer to somebody as Chan if they're young, and San if they're elderly. But I'm pretty. I I, I know that the, I remember the boy's name was Yoichi. I think her name was Asagawa, and his name I couldn't pronounce his name, but I think it was like Raiju or something. I couldn't. Yeah. I found his name the hardest one to uh, to pronounce, to be honest. But he was also cool <laughs> as fuck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, got, oh, he's, a, he's played by a bad actor who we've now seen in quite a lot of things. Yes. He's in quite a lot of American things now, actually, like John Wick. He was in he was in Avengers and uh, one Endgame. He was in yeah. um, Mortal Kombat, recent yeah. one. Um, it's quite cool to see him. As a younger, Sanakai or something like that, but again, pronunciation shit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll just say the college professor, the or the husband, the husband, <laughs> the journalist, main character, the son. The son. I think it's just easier. It's that's easier. constantly yeah. bowling up the names for everyone, which we will be doing. And you're getting pissed off at us doing that. <laughs> um, so yeah, the opening scene. Um, so so this is this is a, a creepy scene, obviously. Um, it's it's kind of the tension that builds with the noises because at first you're just like this is just a normal kind of they just hang out with each other yeah. they're at, they're at their you know parents house well not their parents but one of the parent like house and yeah. they're just chilling they go to get some like food one of them goes off to like the toilet I believe and then you're just left there with that single scene of where obviously which is almost a classic scene now whether yeah. it's this version or the american version whichever version people kind of know this kind of the girl goes up to the phone here's the phone ringing answers the phone the two girls yeah. are talking about is that you though no, it's actually for you so you're kind of already thrown off because the girl already kind of explained the basic idea earlier yeah she said about that she heard this phone call in the seven days and the yeah it's very so, kind of quickly quickly summarised by her that they'll get that and I got this phone call and they thought it was really funny yeah. but they thought that this was just a joke or a prank kind of thing that was being played yeah. on them so then when you've got um, when you've got the girl Tomoka by herself yeah it's uh, <laughs> when you've got her by herself it is, it is a case of you're like okay so here she is and then you kind of get the phone ring again but then you get that TV for that creepy ass static that just came in but with that comes the sad notice that Robbie's seven days were up and that Samara came to get him 
Uh, no, so we had a little technical difficulty midway through for, uh, recording for uh, this episode. So uh, we actually have had to uh, stop and we had to start again and sadly we just haven't had the opportunity for us both to get back together to complete it. So just to finish off because we enjoyed some of the content we'd started off with, you know, that rambling nonsense that you just heard of us talking for about 20 minutes and not actually getting to the point about the film. But to us, we enjoy that. So, you know, that's what we've thrown out there to you. Hope you enjoy some of it. So um, I'm just here to kind of wrap up and add in some ideas about some points that we kind of noticed about the film, just to give you a little bit more context while uh, Robbie is starting to rot in his mangled grave. So, um, back to the film as we were just mentioning. Uh, previously, we were talking about the opening. And uh, in that creepy opening, uh, as we have the, the ringing of the phone and the television starts to go. Now, one of the major differences uh, noticing between having seen this for the remake and having seen this in the original now is the fact that a lot of it is teased throughout this film, but it's never actually shown for better or for worse, depending on who it is. I, I think in this case, it, it works like that classic kind of Jaws, like you don't quite know what you're expecting, so it kind of builds up. But as me and Robbie were mentioning earlier in the episode, I, I think there's a real struggle for someone who already knows what happens with this film, that they're maybe not as drawn in by the mystery purely because they already know what's happened. So if you've seen, you know, sadly me and Robbie had both seen Borbabinsky's um, remake, so we both knew what happened. And on top of that, to be fair, I'd also watched Scary Movie 3, which also stupidly ruins the opening of this film and makes me find it quite hard to take part seriously because, yes, you might say that that's a, a shitty and an inferior sequel to uh, that horror comedy's uh, many films, but... It was a, you know, it, it's a hard one to get past when all you can think of is the stupid jokes and the mangled bodies and the weird kid and the way they portray it in that origin, in that uh, version of the film. So that's all that I could imagine as I was watching this film was constantly the stupid parody of it instead of the original. So it's, it's a hard one because me and Robbie had both seen this film before. So, so taking it seriously... Um, was fine because this film actually takes it from quite a serious if not I'm soapish in some weird ways for me I don't I don't know why I got that feeling from it um, I, I think it was fantastic the acting in in this film is amazing um, but it is kind of hard at times there's something about the tone of the film that kind of throws me off um, and again it just does come back around to that fact that we both found it to be kind of we were going on this journey and we know if we had seen the original first then we would have been fully invested in this journey we would have loved like what came with it and the twists and the turns and the build up to what comes towards the end of the film when you properly get some more ideas about the mystery and and you properly find out what's happened um with uh, samara in the film uh, or i think i'm using the remake's name of it not the actual original name but that character um when you you find that out and how the twist turns towards the end with the copies that's a really interesting turn for the film um 
there are some major key points that I kind of noticed as watching this film and, and kind of things that pop up again and again and again that are quite different than, say, the remake version. Now, the remake we are going to cover later because we've still got it on our poster for our must-see horror. So if you follow the podcast, um, we often uh, do a feature called must-see horror where we are ticking off and going through a hundred films that this poster defines as the greatest horror films ever made. Um, some of which are and some of which we are. For some reason, it has the remake on the poster, but not the original. Um, so the remake is on there. So we're going to cover that at a later date, and we'll probably delve a bit more into the comparison between the two. Um, but as we'd seen the original, it was one of the things that stood out as different from this film, were things like um, the kind of supernatural element of the, the ghostly visions, and um, such as the boy seeing Toma Chan, the girl who, who dies in the opening, um, and that's how um, the son watches the tape. Um, the psychic abilities that appear in this film, such as the um, such as the ex-husband and the boy's father. Now, I'm avoiding the names because I'm absolutely destroying them, just like you heard of Toma Chan, and I'm trying not to go down too much into it. Again, if you haven't seen this film, I think it's kind of hard to talk about this film if you haven't really seen it. Um, so I would go and watch Ringu because it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, but um, those weird parts like the psychic abilities kind of throw you off. I mean, um, these things weren't really part of that remake. And it, the remake is far much less supernatural. Yes, it is about uh, technically about, you know, a, a girl inside of a killer, you know, killer videotape and all that kind of thing. But that part, all the other elements are very much played down. When you reveal stuff about the girl, there's a little bit of that, maybe a little bit of interest about that. But for the most part, it mainly focuses on the videotape and the passing and, and the mystery into trying to find out why does it happen and the more like the death that comes with it. And again, that version we found much more death and we're almost expecting more in this, whereas this is a very much a slow kind of build. It, it has a lot of teases about what's happened and it very much is more about the mystery i think than maybe the americanized version is that has a few more jumps and a few more kind of deaths and hints about deaths and i think this version of the film has um the psychic abilities add an interesting um way to find out pieces of information throughout the film and I like the black and white almost videotaped psychic visions that are shown, like Sudoku's father um, closing the well. And it's an interesting way um, that kind of is able for the, the protagonist to kind of find what has happened and actually be able to recognize it and have seen it because that's a hard one to explain. I think if you take away this, the supernatural element, it becomes so harder to explain and you have to kind of shoehorn in ways like there was videotapes or there was other kind of evidence to prove this. Whereas in this version, he can literally see exactly what has happened whenever he comes near certain things. So it does add an interesting supernatural layer to this film that isn't in the remake. And I, I, I think makes it a more interesting watch in that way. Um, again, having not seen the remake in quite a long time, so I could be completely off the ball with this, and I might find, but again, I know the remake is much loved by many people, and seen as one of the better re American remakes of a whole range of these films. Um, as we talked about earlier, you know, uh, the director, Hedy, uh, 
Hideo uh, Nakata. Um, obviously, he went on to make a sequel um, uh, after a sequel. So this film received a sequel called Spiral. Um, not mixing up with the crappy Saw <laughs> films. Um, and um, Spiral was so poorly received... Um, because people just didn't believe in the way it took. They said it wasn't scary. They said it lost all the interest in the mystery. That they brought him in to make a sequel, Ring 2, which still wasn't greatly received. And then he also went on to do the remake, the American remake of the Ring 2, which again was poorly received compared to the, um, the original American remake of the Ring. So he has an interesting history with these films um, and also notably is that he went on to do a lot other kind of well kind of known like Dark Water um, and that again got an American remake not directed by uh, Hideo Nakata um, but it's interesting how he takes these these stories and, uh, and, and they kind of develop and take on their own kind of bigger mystery and bigger myth and there's a lot of myths that surround these films that people believe and that people believe that they're that the ring itself and ringu there's even things in not just stories because this is slightly based on on books but also there's things in kind of urban legend and and, and myth from japan where um you know these ideas about not necessarily a videotape but a soul being trapped in an entity is quite a common thing whereas maybe in more western culture we might be like why is an entity trapped inside this device and people might be questioning things like the videotapers people have in the past it's an interesting part because they have a lot of things based in artifacts and books within their culture within their kind of myths and legends so it kind of brings that to life but also brings it into that modern and slightly westernized kind of film as i mentioned earlier in the episode this is quite kind of american um kind of driven it was kind of seen to be pushing a little bit more of it as if they'd taken notes from west western culture and brought that into their horror moving away from some of the more male centric kind of all gore or guts or bodily parts kind of horror that japan had had previously with a lot of their content that they were putting out that just wasn't commercially successful and nowhere near to the level level that Ring was or The Grudge or Dark Water. Um, one thing I always find interesting, just as it's this director, is that um, the film Dark Water, to kind of tangent off for a second, um, was inspired again by like short stories and myths and legends, but it, it's interesting that a lot of people assume that that other film, Dark Water, um, and Hideo Nakata has even mentioned how um, people have asked him about was it was it inspired by uh, the murder mystery of Eliza Lam, um, who stayed at the Cecil Hotel in America, um, and the missing and lots of people might have seen it and if you haven't seen it and I want to throw this in just for that creepy kind of add-on on top of when we scare the shit out of you with that static noise which I'm not saying we did but that would scare the shit out of me if it popped into my ear suddenly um, if you haven't seen this it, Eliza Lamb Cecil Hotel now there's a whole Netflix documentary on it but there's so much content on it on the internet but if you haven't seen the original video you know especially if it's late at night right now 
wait until late at night, watch that, and you'll be scared the shit out of you more than any other horror film could do. Um, just the girl in the elevator that went missing, read into it and just have yourself a time of getting absolutely freaked out. But a lot of people, because it shares similar themes, a lot of people assume that that film is similar to the uh, film Dark Water that Hideo Nakata directed. But um, that was years after Dark Water was ever even made, okay, a long time after the original short story that inspired it. Um, so it's always mixed up because they assume because there are very similar plot lines and themes within the film Dark Water. And I'm only throwing this in there because it, it links to the director, it links to the films and the urban legends that come with it, but it also, I don't know if we'll ever get around to hitting Dark Water itself. Hopefully we will as we build more into more J-horror that we'd like to keep building on. Um, so, uh, and so there's interesting and some interesting lines that they kind of throw in there. Now, some of this is so odd and it, it sounds a little bit like some old Robbie would have put in his Tinder profile. Um, the words that are used, like frolic in brine, goblins be fine, which is obviously the uh, translation for us, um, is a poetic translation of a line in the Japanese um, Sajiki like dialect. That's completely butchered. Um, and the line goes, I'm not, I'm not going to say the exact line, but um, the standard Japanese version of uh, the correct one from the Ring novel um, actually means if you just keep playing in the water, the monster is going to come for you. So, frolic in brine, goblins be fine, which is in the film. And that's the translation it has for anyone, obviously, English-speaking. This is the version, if you hear that version, that's the version you get with the subtitle version of the film. We watch the subtitle. I can't stand normally watching the dubbed versions of these films. Um, so, on that one, that's what it says. Frolic in brine, goblins be fine, which is what comes in when they get to you know the island and they're finding out about the well and the father and stuff like that um and it's one of those things that keeps on being repeated like a piece of dialogue to them um it's just interesting that they decided to make it kind of into this kind of poetic <laughs> haiku kind of style imagery instead of just using the original translation which is if you keep playing in the water the monster is going to come for you which i feel which is from the book of the ring is based on and and i feel like that translates as a much more interesting concept because you know this is like you know the the, the family that come for her the, the the way that she dies because of her her differences because of that same kind of psychic differences that are found um with i'm gonna again say samara because i just find it easier to go with that name but um that idea the monster is coming for you whether she's the monster or whether it's the father and what they do to her is the monster um i i don't know why i just got drawn into that line um frolic in brine goblins be fine i just looked i just looked into it because i was just like that's such a weird line and obviously anytime i think of a goblin i think of rob so you know it just it just drew me into this um so the video itself so i gotta be honest this is one thing where i did expect this film to maybe be a bit scarier than it was and a lot of that again can be put down to the fact that i 
have seen the remake. I have seen other other remakes of these films, or I've seen things like The Grudge. I've, uh, you know, I have seen the original Grudge before, um, and I found that one more terrifying. Um, so I expected this original one to be more terrifying than the remake. I don't know why. I think I don't know if it's because burned into my he- head is the um, is the creepy poster for this film where it's got her eye and, and, and you can see you know um, and the way that you can see the girl on the cover with the eye is just so that I remember seeing as a kid and I remember looking at it and going that looks like the most terrifying horror film ever um, but I did find that this film a little bit and I, I know that Rob kind of slightly agreed um, if there was one thing I felt more could have been into this is that at times if it wasn't for like the supernatural level of this film, the fact that it's about, you know, the videotape and it's a girl coming out of the television and, you know, that, that kind of commentary that's kind of pushing almost on, you know, people refer it to like that danger, you know, like the way that um, Western culture destroys at the same time, which is interesting because I feel like it also takes a lot from Western culture, but it's also almost about that destruction from the, the video, the film that, you know, viewing things on your screens, technology, that kind of play into it but also it's the fact that I feel like it's more in the it would be in more the thriller area it, w- it would play more into a thriller than it does into a, a horror which again the line is very thin between the two but because it feels so much more like a mystery and it's an interesting mystery and the film goes in a very interesting path and visuals and as it gets towards the end it does get ramped up so it is that kind of slow build to that ramp up which again I think if I haven't have seen any content on this before if this is my first time ever seeing anything to do within the ring or ring universe or remakes or any of that then I think this would have worked as a great like shocker so that's why I can see why it's so beloved um, but again viewing it in the way that we both did um, you know it's hard not to feel that it, it's not quite as scary as it could have been um it, it feels like there's you go long periods without anything that really feels within the area of like horror or even supernatural horror you know the visions and stuff are one thing but i i do feel you go long periods in this film where it feels like we are just in the mystery which is interesting but i'm more focused on the the horror aspect of the terror that comes and when it does it is fantastic um the boy watching it um and in the opening a lot of the cutaway which if i'm honest feels less impactful than the sudden close-ups on the twisted mangled faces um, of the remake which you get from the girls at the beginning in the remake you get those twisted mangled faces and other people you get that odd twisted face which obviously isn't in here which is something that's added in the american version to be a little bit more horrific or a little bit more terrifying but that certainly adds a kind of element that stays with you that kind of gets stuck in your brain the way they look and it's not something that they play on in this one they don't really play on how they look after they die so clearly um you know and a journalist in the guardian i read about described the film as a shocking film while the remake is a horror film as many have stated that the remake is simpler to follow which makes the scares easier to hit while the original is more convoluted yet more terrifying which is an interesting way to say because 
the scares hit easier. And I can see that because the American way has kind of streamlined the story, got rid of a lot of the supernatural, a lot of the psychic elements, and it has made it a lot simpler. And therefore, those scares are coming at more of a bursting pace. You kind of feel it. It's kind of brought back down. Um, but as I said, I do think the ending of this film hits in a very terrifying way. And, you, and I think that is the lasting impression that it leaves you, which is why I can see why people would say that the original still is the more terrifying of the two. Because you go on this long journey, you build up with the whole film for it finally to kind of really strongly hit you. Not that there aren't scary scenes before that. The opening is very scary. There are some things coming with the psychic abilities that does make it more creepy and scary as it goes along. But that ending... Um, in the apartment is definitely one of the major hitters that really like kind of shit that was scary um, not totally scary for me but I, I mean I can see how it is terrifying but of course I knew it was coming so it was less impact um, the video uh, tape part is an interesting concept but it is hard. As I said before, within the myths and legends within Japanese culture and things like that, you can see how the idea of an entity imbuing an object is an interesting kind of part from a Western side, you know, um, and more within this exact story, it doesn't always feel like it makes perfect sense within this story. Um, because of, you know, you get a lot of the psychic ability and stuff like that, it feels like there would have been a much easier way than the videotape to have this passed along that would have felt a lot more natural to the way that this film plays out and including those psychic abilities it feels like you could have had something else as the object that I don't know would have felt more natural than the videotape which obviously now feels very much of its time um, it's never really made clear um, it's implied the rage of Sadako to use the actual name not Samara, which is the, again, I keep using the Americanized version. Um, the rage of Sadaku from her bludgeoning and burning in the well was captured in a recording. Um, but, you know, that's kind of it. So the idea that that was captured within that. Um, the videotape seems a bit of a way to just show shoehorning kind of modern technology to make a point about how it's destroying or blurring our minds. Um, I, again, it, it is one of those plot points that I think with reflection that they looked at in say the remake and decided that it makes it a lot more clearly making the point that she can physically emit into minds and onto objects so there's a lot more about it being like that the image is seared onto it or seared onto the videotape and there's a specific reason with the recording whereas in this one there's not really so much about the actual clear recording of it because a lot of that is discovered through the psychic ability of you know, of the ex-husband, the college professor, he's the one that kind of allows that kind of to be seen. And it's not so obvious in this original. Um, but, as I said before, this all hits and builds and the mystery that hits. The object still doesn't perfectly make sense to me, but one thing that is great, going staying with the, you know, um, staying with Sadako uh, coming out of the screen till the end to really let's go into that bit a little bit because that ending is definitely certainly effective and would have been um, had we never seen it me and Rob 
Um, I think it would have been an absolutely killer of an effect for us. Um, sadly, the effect is kind of ruined, um, but the eye through the hair, which I mentioned on the front of the, you know, what would have been a videotape when I was a kid, um, is a terrifying and such an iconic image within horror. Um, but the cut-off effects, I'm not going to lie, takes from it. Um, you know, when every time it kind of you see her, then it cuts away from the person. I, I still feel that I just wish there was just a little something so we can see a little bit more of that horror on the person. Because, you know, I guess I related the ring to kind of a body horror kind of aspect in, in this original. That's not really part of it. Sadaku kind of is because of the way her body moves and stuff like that. Um, but it still feels like you don't quite get enough of it. And it feels like it just is so quick and sudden. But it is literally, i got to be honest, the most terrifying part for me... That eye coming through the hair, I just think is amazing. That um, that hit me because it was just like something that was more real. Whereas I'd say in the remake, we're talking about it being a little bit more, a bit more fake, a bit more maybe even CGI or things like that. A bit more twisted bodies, a bit more covered faces. This one is kind of more of just a girl coming out with this creepy, terrifying, and just that one body part, which I don't know why for people, but it the eye or the bulging eye or anything to do with the eyes I think always is just a cringe-worthy part of any horror film. Um, so, yeah, the, the, the final uh, twist is an all-time great one, though. Um, and not to take away from the impact. I know I've talked a lot about the remake um, and there are certain things I found within the imagery. And again, I haven't seen that one in a while. It's just certain things I just remember and I'm not saying it like I don't absolutely love the, the remake. Um, I remember enjoying the film and thinking, yeah, that it was good, but I, I don't remember absolutely loving it when I was younger. Um, and that will be interesting to revisit. But I definitely think that from what I can tell, this one is almost more is better told from the mystery perspective. There is more of a mystery, I feel like, to this one. Um, but that again, that final twist is an all-time great purely as it's it's not signposted earlier in the you know the film um you know it there's that little idea but it's not as clearly made clear about the whole if you you know saved if you if you make a copy um you know if you make that copy it saves the person and and sadly obviously in this case you know the ex-husband is not so lucky um for her to find this out later um, and again, you know, that whole final scene of him like crawling away in the sudden terror, it just hits. It hits so well. It is a perfect scene and a perfect twist. And again, I talk about the remakes, but again, you, you've got nothing without the original. You know, the remake can do what it can do, but it can't outdo an original. And I, I know that coming in. Um, just It's just the way we've seen it. Um, about the, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, passing on, um, you know, I will say there is one thing at that ending, though, that feels a bit too, it feels far too kind of happy, you know, you know, he's been killed, and then obviously we, it's, we find out about the copy, um, but it's such a kind of quick bit to this ending, and her, like, driving off being, you know, happy about this, um, I do feel a little bit of that kind of, that passing of the burden of this killer tape forever 
some of the dread seems kind of lost in the way that at the end um, you know at the end she's kind of driving off and she seems so like free and so well and I know you've had all of this hanging over you you know she's had this hanging over her for yeah well let's be honest a week she had a couple of days to a week she had this hanging over her but and it did lead to the death of her you know her son's husband but she just seems so oddly free and so like happy as she drives away that I, I kind of think that for me that doesn't seem as real that's some of the things that made it feel a little bit soapy at time because you know that is a huge burden the idea that you're passing that on to someone else taking another life um and i know things like the sequels try to kind of delve into this and i don't think any other ring film you know has ever like really apart from the re the remake and this one you know none of the sequels and stuff but none of them i don't think have really taken like clear enough of that effect um of you know taking that burden on and some of them have tried but they've never really fulfilled it but this ending feels a little bit kind of too happy too like oh i'm free and you know it's it even got a little bit of a kind of again to go back to that americanized you know quite a kind of upbeat oddly kind of off kind of soundtrack at the end very 90s um soundtrack at the end which doesn't again make you feel the the dread and i feel like it should have been much darker kind of clear on the end that there is a huge horrible burden that comes with this that i just wish i could feel a little bit more um so yeah, to, to kind of start to, to sum up from my rambling with just me here, um, the film, as much as I love it, sadly, uh, to be honest, it, it loses its appeal once you kind of already know where it's going. And I know from me and Rob, we both kind of discussed this at length before we even started trying to record, trying being the key word there. Um, once you know where it's already going, that affects, you know, it, it takes a lot off of it um, because we had already seen a version of the film and a very close version except for a few kind of supernatural main points. Most of it plays out very similarly. Um, and due to that, it, it, it does feel like a very slow build and quite a slow film, which I think it wouldn't have felt like that if we were more invested in the mystery but the sadly is we knew where each point was kind of coming from. We knew where it was going to hit. And that made it kind of harder for us to kind of fully invest ourselves into it. Um, you know, it, as I said, it's bookended with two fantastic scares. The beginning and the end. Um, and they are full of dread and suspense and scares. And I do think, you know, a lot of that works better than... I remember the remake working except for some body horror kind of parts I think added some nice ending you know a few of those cuts didn't quite work um, but there is that big main part where we follow the mystery and I didn't find it as compelling as I thought I was going to um, and I don't know why and I guess it's one of those things that come with it when you're told about watching these originals of these films and you're told about watching J-horror and because I knew of some of the other ones I knew how kind of crazy kind of gory and off the wall they can go um i think my expectation for this as a j horror film coming in was for it to be scarier more terrifying um to maybe push things more than actually you know an american remake would actually try to push it um but i was kind of sad to find that actually it's the other end and this one actually plays it a lot more kind of straight a lot more almost thriller with a few supernatural and horror elements added in 
um, which isn't a bad thing. It's an interesting, compelling film, and if you've never watched it, I don't know why you were listening to this this long. Um, I don't know why in general you listened to this long, but you know that's a confusing part. Um, but I think you would love it, and if you haven't seen it or you know people who haven't seen it, I do think that they will really enjoy the film because they'll be really invested by what happened, how it happened, um, and I do think this is quite an accessible um, film to get someone into kind of another you know, into a J-horror, you know, a Japanese horror, to get them into a different kind of horror film from your standard Americanized Western kind of horror films that are pumped out. So I do think this would be quite a good introduction into it and to kind of slowly build them in because there's only those few scares that do hit hard when they hit, though. Um, so, yeah, and I do think when the dread is built and they go into the well and become truly desperate, you know, Ah, one thing I didn't mention earlier. I was really like, how long is this draining the well scene going to go on for? It's great. Uh, it's very, you know, that's one kind of more creepy, kind of suspenseful, because you don't really know where it's going. Um, but it felt like they were trying to drain that well for ages. Like, I didn't expect them to actually basically drain the whole well. And that seemed like an extra tangent thrown in, but I should have mentioned it earlier. I just remember being a little bit kind of, I found it almost a bit humorous how long they continued to kind of pump at that well um it just i guess i'm just used to it being cut a little bit sooner than that but again that that all builds into the fact that yes it was very invested in that mystery and that is not a bad thing at all um i just wish sadly that the effect wasn't lost quite so much on this film um that made it feel kind of slow it made it feel like i was watching a film i'd already seen and it was playing slowly and i think rob felt a very similar way that we kind of wished we'd kind of, um, well, go back and basically erase or lobotomize the Ring remake from our mind, um, you know, just so that we could see it fresh. But we will come into one of our others. Um, we're going to delve more into some more J-horror. Um, as I said, we're trying to expand our horizons. So tell us if you agree, do you think the remake was better? Do you think the original is better? Um, is there any other recommendations for J-horror that you would throw as that we should check out that we haven't done so far? Because as we said earlier in the episode, we've done a lot. We've done a few, you know, uh, Italian kind of horrors now. And we've, we've been trying to build up in a different like perspectives. We've done some Spanish horror, but we this is kind of our first J-horror. Whatever ones would you throw out there for recommendations for us? Do you agree with the comments that I said earlier about is it is the original more terrifying but the uh, remake is almost more easy to follow and you know a, a kind of a scarier in some way because it hits a bit more but there's more dread in the original. Tell us your thoughts. Tell us come and tell us all about it and remember uh, to follow and subscribe to Cast Me to Hell. To really help our podcast grow, you can find us at CMTH Podcast on Twitter, FuckX, and Instagram. Um, and make sure you leave us some lovely reviews and get in contact with us uh, so that we can hear your feedback and we can build on it. And I promise in the future that we will try and fix these annoying ass problems with our episodes. Thank you for hanging around. Bye bye. Thank you.